Hello and welcome to See You in Court, the podcast that informs you about the Georgia civil justice system, what it means to you, and how it protects individual rights. This podcast is a collaboration between the Georgia Civil Justice Foundation and the Georgia Institute of Technology. Your hosts are Robin Frazier-Clark and Lester Tate, who are both past presidents of the State Bar of Georgia and currently serve on the Board of Directors of the Georgia Civil Justice Foundation. And now this episode of See You in Court. Hello, podcast listeners and lovers of the law. This is Lester Tate, along with Robin Frazier-Clark, and we welcome you to our new podcast, See You in Court. This podcast is a joint project of the Georgia Civil Justice Foundation and the Georgia Institute of Technology School of Literature, Media, and Communication. The Georgia Civil Justice Foundation is a nonprofit foundation whose mission is to educate the public about the Georgia civil justice system, about its value to the public in enforcing rights and holding negligent actors accountable for injuries they have caused. The Georgia Tech School of Literature, Media, and Communication defines new models of intellectual inquiry and practice that bring diverse humanistic perspectives to bear on technological innovation uh, throughout throughout the world. The school's mission is to lead the region, the nation, and the world in researching and teaching the ways of the humanities and the way that they shape science and technology. Understanding technologies and their cultural context is fundamental to invention and innovation. The school's diverse faculty and students assess and inform technological and scientific change by creating, analyzing, and critiquing a broad range of media forms and cultural practices. Let me first begin by introducing my partner, Robin Frazier-Clark. Robin is a plaintiff's lawyer, personal injury lawyer in Atlanta, Georgia. Her office is located in downtown Atlanta, and she's been practicing law in Georgia for 31 years, all in the personal injury area. She's a sole practitioner, and just to tell you a little bit about my friend Robin, she's a past president of the Georgia Trial Lawyers Association, which is a professional association of plaintiffs, personal injury lawyers. She served as the 50th president of the State Bar of Georgia, which consists of approximately 55,000 lawyers throughout the state. She was president in 2012 and 2013. The State Bar is the mandatory bar association that every lawyer who practices in Georgia, including judges, must belong to in order to practice law in this state. She's a past president of the Lawyers Club of Atlanta, a purely social club made up of roughly 2,000 or so Atlanta lawyers who get together to promote civility, professionalism uh, in the courtroom. She is a member of the American Board of Trial Advocates, Robin graduated from Vanderbilt University and Emory University Law School. She's married and the mother of two adult children. You can find out more about Robin at her website, gatriallawyers.net, and you may read her blog, atlantainjurylawyerblog.com, which you can access, access through her website or on its own. Robin is on Facebook, where you can find her at Robin Fraser Clark PC, and on Twitter as at Robin F. Clark. And good morning, everyone. This is Robin Fraser-Clark. I want to take a few minutes and introduce my uh, partner in crime, friend, co-host. Lester Tate is the principal and owner of the law firm of Aiken and Tate, located in Cartersville, Georgia. He's practiced law in Georgia since 1987. Got his undergraduate degree from Georgia Institute of Technology and got his law degree from University of South Carolina. His practice consists of most everything, including personal injury, workers' compensation, and criminal defense. He served as the 48th president of the State Bar of Georgia. He is a member of the American Board of Trial Advocates and Lawyers Club of Atlanta. He serves on the board 
of the Georgia Institute of Technology School of Literature, Media, and Communication. He also worked in Congress between 1983 and 1985 as the press secretary for Congressman Buddy Darden. Lester is the father of two adult children, and you may learn more about Lester on his website, akintate.com. So the subject, Lester, of our podcast is going to be largely Georgia jurisprudence, and we chose the name See You in Court because we're in court quite a bit, but I, I don't know about you, but I think it's a little ironic that we're calling it See You in Court when we can't see each other in court during coronavirus. <laughs> It's actually a little bit amazing that we, we haven't had court. If you ever thought that you would have a time that you wouldn't have court for months on end in the state of Georgia, something I've never seen in my 32 years of practice, and I doubt uh, anybody else in our lifetime has seen it. Me either. It's absolutely unprecedented times. So what a great time to start our podcast when people are looking for things to listen to about our civil justice system. Uh, they've watched everything on Netflix by now and <laughs> Amazon Prime. So uh, instead of going to Hulu, maybe they'll listen to our podcast. And our mission here is to educate the public about our system of justice and how each role in the system works from juror to judge. It's the jury who decides the case, and it's the jury who has the power to do justice. So we will look deeply into what that means, how it happens, and what happens in cases after the jury has spoken. And we have an upcoming talking about the coronavirus and the shutdown of our courts, although we're, we are doing some virtual hearings. We're going to have an episode coming up about that topic, including a judge from Gwinnett County, Judge Carla Brown and some other practitioners who have been doing some virtual hearings and whether we're ever going to see a virtual jury trial. So that's, that's coming up soon. We're also going to be covering various appellate court opinions from both Georgia Court of Appeals and the Georgia Supreme Court. And we'll try to bring you some interesting appellate cases that have a broad impact on Georgia citizens. We're going to be talking about various topics in Georgia law, and you'll hear from other trial lawyers about their cases and their work within the Georgia civil justice system. You'll hear from both Georgia trial judges and Georgia appellate judges about their thoughts about the system and how justice is achieved. And although the emphasis will obviously be civil cases, uh, because this is being brought to you by the Georgia Civil Justice Foundation, and those kind of cases are which an injured person is suing a negligent person or company for money damages because of the injury. This isn't to say we might also broach some other topics that are interesting as well, including some criminal cases or accused person cases, as Lester likes to call them, uh, and even some divorce or constitutional law cases along the way. We may talk about current events in the law uh, that people in Georgia are just broadly interested in. So, Lester, let's talk a little bit about why are we doing this podcast as a platform for the Georgia Civil Justice Foundation? Well, you know, the Civil Justice Foundation's uh, mission, its sole mission, really, is to educate people about our judicial system uh, and about how it works and about how it can work for you or against you. And uh, we've seen podcasts become the go-to forum to educate the public about any particular topic or whatever. In fact, uh, Forbes magazine says there are now over 800,000 active podcasts and about 54 million podcast episodes that are available worldwide. So we felt like using this platform would be the best way to inform Georgia citizens and maybe even some citizens in other states as well 
about how the civil justice system works, how it protects their constitutional rights, and what role it plays in everyday life. Uh, our system works to help enforce the rule of law, uh, which is a, a very uh, important uh, and vital topic these days. And without it, citizens aren't able to go to work or have children go to school or do anything out in their everyday normal lives. So it's an, an intricate part of the structure and the framework of our lives, of our democracy. And we felt like this was the best way to discuss it and uh, shine a light on some of the, the individual things that are going on inside of it. And my daughter, Alex, and I began listening to numerous podcasts, and we've really become addicted. Uh, we started with the um, sort of famous podcast, Serial, the podcast from NPR. The first series was about Adnan Syed. I'm sure many of you have listened to that podcast as well. Uh, so at, having listened to so many, we just decided, let's try our hand at this, and what, what better subject than the civil justice system that Lester and I really have basically dedicated our lives to. Lester, you want to tell the folks a little bit about some of the topics that we have come in their way? Yeah, why don't we, why don't we just go down through those and, 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 and talk about them a little bit at this time as we go through. You know, the first, first one I think we had discussed uh, uh, talking about is forced, uh, forced arbitration clauses. And maybe you want to tell us what one is, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll follow on with that and some of the others. Yeah, well, there, the forced arbitration clause uh, is important to every citizen because it basically takes your right to a jury trial away. And many companies, many, many, many contracts, um, whether it's a, a contract to, to rent an apartment or a contract to have a surgery, anything like that often have these forced arbitration clauses on them that says instead of if you have a problem you're not going to be able to sue the person who caused injury to you in court you're going to have to take them to arbitration and most of the times you don't even know you're signing it right so, and, I, and i think a lot of people don't realize that the seventh amendment the united states constitution guarantees you to the right to trial by jury in any case involving more than 25 dollars and, uh, and it's not that arbitration by itself is necessarily a bad thing. So, I mean, there are plenty of disputes, as you and I both know, where parties after the dispute arises uh, decide that maybe instead of going in front of a jury, we want to have an arbitrator look at this. Maybe it's highly technical or for whatever reason. But what we're talking about are the forced arbitration clauses. And that's where it's literally down in the fine print. Uh, and commits you to waive your Seventh Amendment constitutional right before you ever have a dispute at all. And so uh, it's, it's very different from, from arbitration uh, in general. It's the forced arbitration clause. And so I look forward to, to talking about that because, uh, again, it, it does away with your Seventh Amendment right, and you don't even know it's gone until you need it. We're going to talk a little bit about mediation. And you want to Talk a little bit. Sure. Well, you know, mediation, uh, every profession, it seems, has some new technique or some new scholarship or whatever that comes in. I, I remember, uh, I'm old enough to remember when new math came in uh, in, uh, in school. I didn't do any better at the new math than I did at the old math. And frequently, these new things go by the by after a few years. Uh, probably about 20 years ago, mediation became a thing. Uh, in the legal industry, it became a thing because it got the parties together with their lawyers. They were able to talk about whether they could resolve their dispute without actually going to court. And it's one of the new things that when it came in 20 years ago, I had a lot of doubts about, I'll just tell you, Robin. Yeah. And uh, I suspect since then between us, we've probably mediated hundreds of cases 
you know, with our clients. And it's, it's one of the new techniques that came in line, came online, and uh, it has really stuck. Yeah. Uh, so I look forward to talking to folks about that. Yeah. One topic we're probably going to talk about is car insurance, which everybody who drives a car has to have, and specifically about a type of insurance, car insurance called uninsured motorist or underinsured motorist insurance coverage. Probably the best coverage you can buy, you can spend your own money on, and it's to protect you, uh, not to, to protect someone else, but to protect you when you've been injured in a car wreck. And a lot of people don't know that and aren't aware of that, including some insurance agents who are selling it uh, or who fail to sell it uh, to your clients. Here's, uh, I've, I've got a question for you, uh, Robin. And uh, how many uh, clients or friends, when you want to talk to them about car insurance, tell you, I've got, quote, full coverage. Full coverage all and, the time. And, and why don't you tell us what the legal definition of full coverage is? Yes. 25,000 and that's it. <laughs> it's 25,000 that pays the other guy but, if, yeah, you, other if guy. you if you hit them. And so I've, I'm often at cocktail parties or church or, or wherever I, I was. I've had people come up to me and say, Lester, you're a lawyer. Give me some good advice. And my advice is always get, uh, get uninsured motorist coverage and get high limits because it's the only insurance that you're ever going to buy that actually protects you uh, as opposed to protecting your assets or protecting, you know, somebody else. So I think it's, uh, and, and it's amazing to me how many sophisticated uh, businessmen and businesswomen, really smart people come into my office after they've had uh, some sort of tragedy happen uh, in an automobile someplace. And you say, do you have uninsured motorist coverage? And they say, well, I had full coverage. But then you get their uh, insurance declaration sheet out and you find they had absolutely no uninsured motorist coverage and they've been hit by a drunk driver who had absolutely no insurance or maybe had $25,000 worth of insurance. Right. That's going to be an important episode to get the word out about they need to buy it now. Once they come to see us after they've been injured, it's too late. Uh, so they need to know now to get it. So our other topic, next topic is listed is jury duty. I wonder if more people would listen if we entitled that, how to get out of jury duty, because that <laughs> seems to be what most yeah. people want to do. Well, that's true. I'm sure we'll cover what potential jurors say to get out and things that have happened in our, in our many trials that we've seen. And, um, but also, when, whenever we get back to jury trials, what it's like to be a juror and, and the experience I think that's going to be a very important topic when so many people are subpoenaed to jury trial. Nobody wants to do it, um, but I always tell my jurors, they end up as the heroes, the people who see the burning car on the side of I-85 and stop and pull somebody out of the car. They're the, they're the heroes. Nobody wants to be the hero, but when they do, they do the right thing. They do. And, you know, it's the only thing, as far as I know, the government can only compel your service. Uh, they can they can tax your money. They can take your land. There are other things they can do, but they can only compel your personal service in two instances. Uh, one of which is if you're drafted and 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 sent off to war during time of war, and the other is to ask you to come and serve on a jury. You know, from time to time, and uh, it's actually a very patriotic thing to do, mm -hmm. uh, in my judgment. Uh, but people, I think, are afraid of it and reluctant to do it because they don't really understand the whole process. So I hope we'll be able to enlighten them a little bit on what it's like and, uh, and how important it is to others that they do that. And another episode that we're going to bring you, another topic, is reasons why you need to hire an attorney quickly after a car wreck or after an incident. And there are 
you may not think about this, but there are a lot of reasons you have some deadlines that you have to meet, even though we have a two-year statute of limitations to file a suit for personal injury. There are other deadlines that may apply to your case, like a thing called an anti-litem notice if you're going to sue a government entity, um, or even giving notice quickly to your insurance carrier. We talked about uninsured motorists. Uh, most of those policies have a, a notice provision that you have to tell your own carrier that you're intending to bring a UM claim, and it's usually as promptly as possible. Uh, so that's, we're going to be talking about those deadlines that you have to follow. That, that, that's true. And, you know, if, if an insurance company's involved, they've set up a structure that already has people ready to work on that case for the at-fault driver uh, the, before it ever even happens. Happens. And so uh, if you don't have somebody on your side, you're sort of at disadvantage. The other thing, Robin, you mentioned the sort of uh, uh, pre-litigation notices that you have to give to government entities if you're, uh, and, and not just in car wrecks, but in other things, if you're going right. to sue a government entity. And you, I remember going to a seminar that you spoke at and that I spoke at, we were both on the program, and you had one of the best lines ever uh, about uh, the, the anti-litem or pre-litigation notices that you have to send out. You were talking about how technical they are. And uh, you said, does anybody know what the purpose of having all this is? And uh, the answer was, the purpose of it is to get you kicked out of court. <laughs> is what, right. what, the, what the purpose of it is, it serves no purpose other than trying to defeat your claim. Right. And uh, I think that was, uh, that, that was certainly a moment of, uh, a moment of truth there. And uh, I think we're also going to be talking about some medical malpractice cases, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, is always interesting, but uh, uh, maybe even uh, more interesting now in the time of coronavirus, where we have a lot more medical treatment going on for reasons that are, I suppose, obvious. But they're also some of the most uh, difficult cases, because I think it's unusual in that you are you have a claim against somebody that wasn't trying to hurt you. They were trying to help you, uh, but didn't meet the standard of care. And I think there's a lot of misconception that, that right. surrounds that. And I think the person we have lined up to talk to you about that is really one of the sort of uh, fathers of uh, medical malpractice type cases uh, here in Georgia. Yeah, that'll be an interesting episode with Jay Cook, a lawyer in Athens. Uh, and we'll talk about some of those, how hard they are, and are they getting harder, are they getting easier, and what standard of care. That's very complicated. Those are very complicated cases, but it'll be interesting to talk about. One topic we might talk about is the, a judge as a 13th juror. It seems there's a lot of misunderstanding of that in the public, and they, don't, they can't believe that a judge could possibly serve as a 13th juror. What that means, it's a, it's a euphemism. Um, but it happens, and I've had it happen, uh, and it's appropriate, um, but I think the public has a misunderstanding about it. I, th I, I think that's true, but there's even something that's ahead of the 13th juror and the judge's role in that that I remember uh, at one stage before I was a lawyer uh, being sort of aghast at, and that was, I took a business law, you mentioned that I went to Georgia Tech, took a business law class uh, at Georgia Tech, and we started studying cases, just like you study uh, cases at law school. And uh, one of the first cases we looked at was a case that was resolved on a motion for summary judgment. And I remember thinking, how does that happen? Because that's when the judge can kick you out of court before it ever goes to a jury. 
I remember as a young college student sort of being stunned that that was a possibility. So the idea, though, of course, for a motion for summary judgment is that even if you prove the facts, you don't have a claim. So if you're somebody's walking down the street, if you stick your tongue out at somebody walking down the street uh, and they sue you for that, even if you prove even if they prove you did stick your tongue out at them, you still don't get to recover for that. And that's supposed to be the situation for summary judgment. But it's certainly true that judges, uh, both under the law and sitting as a 13th juror after the jury has returned a verdict, have a lot of power to give you a new trial uh, or to set aside that jury's verdict. I think uh, a lot of people will be as surprised as I was sitting in that classroom at Georgia Tech years ago as to what the judge can and can't do it under what circumstances they can. Yeah. We'll probably be talking at some point about ethics and professionalism in the law, how lawyers are perceived by the public and the rules that we are required to follow. The practice of law is one of the few professions that actually you must follow ethics rules. Uh, and if you don't, you get kicked out. And I know Lester has, has uh, well, we've both served on the ethics we've, we've ethics both participated board. in kicking a few people out mm-hmm. uh, over, over the years uh, one and way you, or another and, and i think you've done some representation of people before i have both uh b- both lawyers and judges you know over over the years that i've that I've, I've represented one one critical point i think about this that i hope we get to discuss uh just a little bit more is uh we frequently use that phrase ethics and professionalism as if it's you know, one thing, you know, it's like, uh, and, and my mother used to serve me a lot of beans and cornbread, you know, when I was growing up and it was all mixed together and ethics and professionalism gets mixed together as well. But uh, former uh, Chief Justice Harold Clark uh, used to talk about the difference between ethics and professionalism. And he always said that ethics is the minimal amount that is required of a lawyer. You know, you have to be ethical, honesty, those kind of things. Those are the minimal things that are required of a lawyer, but professionalism is trying to provide your clients and the public with the highest service, the highest possible standard uh, that, that you could provide. And so uh, those are, are related, but also very different uh, concepts. And I think understanding and, and talking about that difference uh, can be very instructive. I think the practice of law is also one of the few, if maybe only, professions where we have an ethical duty to make sure our fee is reasonable. Anybody else doing anything in America can charge whatever they think they can charge. Whatever the, whatever the traffic will bear. Well, you know, that's right, the, whatever is, the going is the rate point. is. But uh, we have a duty to make sure everything we do and charge is reasonable. So we'll, we'll look into that. And uh, That's true. And it, but, but it also, you know, I don't think that there's, uh, uh, I've never aspired to be the cheapest lawyer in town. And I think you, over the years, you, you see that good lawyers uh, probably uh, charge higher fees, you know, than, than other lawyers. But, you know, Abraham Lincoln in the 1850s gave a talk called Notes on the Practice of Law. And one of the things that he says is the most important thing for lawyers is the question of a fee and its fairness to both the client and to the lawyer for whatever work has to be done. Uh, I see you've got the Judicial Qualifications uh, uh, Commission and its role in our justice system uh, as well, Robin. Well, that will be interesting. I bet a lot of, of the public is not aware of that, but that's the, the commission that oversees the conduct of judges. And we actually have a, I think all the, the people on the commission are appointed by the governor, by the Speaker of the House, 
but we have a commission that oversees and hears and handles complaints about judges who uh, are alleged to have done some sort of misconduct, typically on the bench. Yeah, and it's not always on the bench, too. Sometimes yeah. it's, there are other violations Personal. that can. But uh, one of the things that I think uh, is very, very interesting about that is, and as you know, I served on the Judicial Qualifications yes. Commission, was chair of it for a while. And one of the things that always came up was, you know, if a judge is wrong, that's not supposed to be something that goes to the Judicial Qualification Commission because it's, it's not unethical. It's, it's, it's wrong. And that's what you have appellate courts for, the Georgia Court of Appeals and the Georgia Supreme Court is to correct wrong decisions. But violations of the ethics of being a judge is what you're looking for uh, with the Judicial Qualifications Commission. And so those are two different things. Sometimes those overlap as well. You know, for example, I have heard instances where judges would refuse to apply, for example, the presumption of innocence, you know, in a criminal case. <laughs> and, uh, and so that really is a matter of law, but it's sort of such a fundamental matter of law that uh, a, a judge refusing to apply it, you know, probably is, uh, is running afoul of the uh, canons of judicial ethics as well. well so a lot it, of interesting stuff there. It also includes just basic competence uh, of a judge. So it does. And, and we have presidential pardons on the list. Yeah. And uh, my office staff tells me that I know a lawyer in every nook and cranny of Georgia, every, you know, throughout the state, you and I are both uh, presidents of the bar at different times. And I feel like I do. I know one lawyer personally who has ever gotten a presidential pardon uh, for anyone. And that lawyer is you, uh, Robin Frazier-Clark. And you <laughs> told me the story yeah. And it's a quite remarkable uh, story, I think. And I can't wait for you to be able to share that with our listeners. Yeah, that was a pro bono, meaning no fee case for me that I felt my client had just absolutely been wronged by the federal government and fought for him for six years when President Obama was in office. And uh, I will never, ever forget the day that um, pardon attorney for the Department of Justice called me to tell me President Obama was going to sign a pardon for my client. We'll talk about that, but worked for six. And he was also, he was also, if I recall, correct me if I'm wrong, and I won't, I won't give away the whole thing today because we certainly won't, we want to tease people enough that they'll come back and listen <laughs> and get the, get, get as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. Right. But you fought for him, but he also fought for our country. Uh, yeah. as, as I recall, and, exactly uh, right. and, and was rewarded uh, for that with a tremendous injustice. Rewarded with two and a half years in Fort Leavenworth prison, but we'll, we'll talk about that. And we may talk about pro bono work at some point too, that how much pro bono work lawyers do for society. Uh, but that was a case I fought for six years for him and totally without pay. And it was I think maybe the highlight of my career, I've practiced 31 years, that I think that may be the, the absolute highlight. It beats any verdict I've ever obtained. It was a great moment, but we'll, we'll talk about that and it'll be fun. And then uh, last on our list, although not last on, on episode topics, because Lester and I could really create topics <laughs> <laughs> nonstop, but the last one we had to talk today about was just going to talk to various lawyers or judges, both trial judges, appellate judges, about their expertise. So you may have a subject matter on, say, products liability 
cases that we'll talk to a lawyer who specializes in products liability and, and the complexity of those cases. Uh, or we might talk to an appellate judge about how he goes about deciding a case, what all is involved in that. But we will bring you from time to time experts in their field, both trial lawyers and judges, to talk about some of those issues. You know, one of the things that I love about the law and anybody that knows me and Robin, you know me about as well as anybody. I love to tell a story, you know, and uh, lawyers love to tell stories and stories are really part of the whole practice of law. You know, when you look at cases that uh, have been decided by the appellate courts and are applied in cases that are in court today, it's because somebody's got a story about what happened before and they're applying it uh, to what's happened today. And uh, lawyers, uh, I think, sometimes get a little carried away with war stories. We used to have a seminar at the state bar that was called War Stories. And still lawyers have it. Still have it. Yeah. Uh, Justice Robert Benham, who recently retired to the Supreme Court, once called that, that seminar Liar's Morning Out uh, because uh, lawyers, <laughs> uh, another judge I know, once said, if a lawyer's telling a story about a case, it's, one, it's about a case he won. And uh, that's frequently true, but I think there's just a tremendous value in going back and hearing those stories and learning from them and being able to, to take that forward. If you have an experience where you have to go to court, you know that there, there's somebody that's been there before and you can relate to it. That gives you an overview of some of the episodes we're going to bring you, some of the topics we're going to be covering. We intend to bring our listeners a fun, interesting, informative, thought-provoking podcast that will teach you about Georgia law, about how law is practiced in Georgia, and about the nobility of the law in both the adherence to the rule of law and the professionalism of our Georgia lawyers and judges. The profession of law is something we are very proud of, and we hope you will understand why as we embark on this exciting podcast journey together. Above the bench of the Supreme Court of Georgia, and in, it is they brought it with them into the new judicial building, is engraved a beautiful Georgia marble, is a phrase in Latin. I may not pronounce it correctly, Lester, you correct me. Fiat justitia ruat calum. I'm not a Latin scholar, so that was good. I think Latin's a dead language. There's no mispronunciation. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll but it's what that. it means that counts. Uh, what it right? means, yeah, what it means is justice though the heavens fall. And this is the overarching goal of all legal pursuits, whether criminal or civil litigation or appellate law. That, that may sound trite or even cute to some critics out there, but it is the simple truth. And hopefully this podcast, See You in Court, We'll make that crystal clear to our listeners. Well, I hope they will come back, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in court again, Robin. Same here, Lester. Looking forward to working on this with you and bringing it to our listeners. And until next time, see you in court. Thank you for listening to See You in Court, brought to you by the Georgia Civil Justice Foundation and the Georgia Institute of Technology. Please subscribe to this podcast and consider writing a review. You may find related documents to this week's episode on our website, cuincourt.podbean.com. Please send any questions, suggestions, or ideas to cuincourtpodcast at gmail.com. The producer of this podcast is Raz Misher. I'm Fred Smith, Executive Director of the Georgia Civil Justice Foundation. You may learn more about the foundation at fairplay.org. On behalf of Robin Frazier-Clark and Lester Tate, until our next episode, 
We'll see you in court.